It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Going to be in the book of Jude today. We are preaching chronologically through the scriptures, and um, so as it is chronological, our next, uh, our next Bible study book that we're going to look at is not going to be Revelation. We're going to look at First and Second and Third John in the coming weeks, and then we'll finish in the book of Revelation. It's been a long process. It's been a wonderful process, and God has used His Word in a wonderful way, and um, I've enjoyed it in my ministry and in my life as well. So let's uh, bow our heads in prayer as we come to this book and then see what God has for us through Jude to his church and to us as well. Father, we thank you today for the blessing already that has been ours uh, to look at individual lives and see opportunities that are before them uh, for Stephen and Mitchell and for Madeline and for Clara. And, uh, we're thankful for that, for how you're using them. God, we pray again for Boyne and Christy right now as they minister that you would just give uh, them the words to say and be a blessing to and through them. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, it is the difference in our life. Uh, you empower as the Holy Spirit takes uh, its truth and makes it alive in our testimony, in our life, and how we do uh, live for you. So speak to our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jude, chapter 1, only chapter 1. And I want us to I want to begin and read the first few verses. And this is uh, how it begins. Jude, who is a servant, he is a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. That's what he desired to write about when he started this epistle. He wanted to encourage him to write about all the things they had in Christ in common, in the salvation, what it meant. And, um, and God had, had a different plan as he turned his heart towards a, a message that we're going to find here. He continues in verse 3 and he says this, But I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This becomes really our, uh, our focus this morning is Jude's desire for uh, the church to contend for the faith, that is to, to stand for the Word of God, to stand for uh, Christ and the difference He makes in our lives, to fight for biblical truth and biblical principles, um, to be alive in those things, uh, to be invested in them, to communicate them, to declare them, to talk about them 
to make Christ the center, to make the Word of God the focus. You know, it's never changed. And the word contend here is to be, is to be uh, active in that. It's to be intentional about standing for the gospel, for the Word of God, in a culture that's always changing where there are, where there are myths that, that we easily uh, can fall victim to today as it was in this day as well. And so Jude is going to, the whole book is going to stand upon this challenge to us. God desires for us as a church and for us who are in Christ to stand on the Word of God, to stand in the faith, to contend for the faith, to stand up and fight the good fight to do that. And, um, and so whenever we do that, we know that there are challenges that are ahead. We do that precisely because there are challenges. We do it because there will be challenges. We do it because Christ is worthy of that. And his message, you know, it's amazing. God has blessed us with the opportunity to be a witness for him. And so that's what he asks us to do. Um, so what does this mean in our life? There are three things that I pull from the book that, that I see uh, just in a, in, a, in a glance. And we're just kind of taking a glance as we look at these books. Um, and as we look at this emphasis to us this morning to contend, to stand for, to, to have an active faith, what does it mean in our life? Number one. We come to uh, verse 4, and uh, from verse, verse 4 all the way down to verse 19, he's going to emphasize ver- something very important here. We're to contend for the faith because the need is so great. The need is great in our culture for uh, a witness. The need is great for believers to stand up. You know, it was, a true, it was true here. It's true today, isn't it? The need is great for Christians to make the voice of Christ known. The need is great for Christians to show the love of God, to stand on the truth of God. That's what God calls us to do. That's the mission of the church. And all these verses are dedicated as to the need that's revealed and why this needs to be done. So I just want us to walk through this together. Let's walk through this first point, long section, but some... some uh, Beautiful things that resonate with us today, too, and that we need to see as well. Verse 4, he begins by showing that need, and this is what he says. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people. And so he makes it a point here right away as he, as he speaks to the church. He says something that's very important. He says right here up front, he says there are people not only in the culture that we're going to see, for sure, that are ungodly, but there are people that have crept into the churches. He says, our churches have a, have a need. He says, the churches here have a need because people have crept in who, who are going to exhibit this word, unbelief. And the unbelief of their life is going to be um, exhibited and modeled in so many ways. And so he says, there's a need to be on guard even within your own church. He's writing to the church here. And so it's very important that we just catch that as we begin. Uh, and he, he he's hints already here in verse 4 that unbelief ultimately is going to be judged by the Lord in the end. We see that right here. There's a condemnation coming to the against the ungodly for that unbelief, which we're going to see as we move through here. So here's, here's the need, he reveals in verse 4. These people who, this is where, this is where the need is revealed. Verse 4, these people, these people, 
pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. And so the need is this. There is, there is a mindset that says grace gives me the ability, a license to do whatever I want. And here it's being exhibited and just and doing whatever I want with my body. And whatever I want to indulge in, I can indulge in. Here the word is, here the word is that, that sensuality. Whatever I, whatever I want to expose myself to um, on the internet, on TV, what I watch, it doesn't matter. Grace, if I, if, I, if I know Christ, I have the freedom to do that. And that's not what the scriptures teach. And he speaks here of the dangers of that mindset and how that's creeping into the church here in Jude. Years, years, right years ago. Almost 2,000 years ago. And the same is true today. And how sensuality is so much a part of our culture. Um, it's a struggle at every turn. It's not just men who struggle with this temptation. It's women as well. Our culture has put it out there. Every age group and, every, and both genders struggle with this. He says it has crept into the church. And he says this as well. Unbelief. So unbelief... Uh, comes to this issue and says, you know what, you can do whatever you want, okay? You can do whatever you want. Verse 4 continues and says, and they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And unbelief, unbelief brings us to the place, and here's a, this is the myth, it brings us to the place where it really doesn't matter if I follow the Lord or not. As long as I've, as long as I've made a decision for salvation, then I'm covered, Right? And ultimately, in harmony with James or anywhere else in Scripture, he's going to highlight here, if my life is, if the pattern of my life, if in that pattern Christ is not visible, then I don't have a living faith. I don't have that genuine faith. And the need is great because we need to contend for the truth and model the truth, be pure in sensuality, and, and look at the Lord as truly the one who is the captain of our faith and look to Him. Verse 5, he says this, and I want to remind you that Although you once fully knew it, important, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Unbelief is destructive in our life. Here, believers who were, who were delivered from, from Egypt wandered through the wilderness, wandered through those 40 years in unbelief, and ultimately were prevented from going into the promised land. God, who had delivered them, did not did not allow them to receive the benefit of the promise of going into the promised land because of unbelief. And it's so destructive in our life. It can move us from a place where we were once at a place of faith and, and pull us away. And he says here in verse 6, And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. And there's a lot that we could say about all these, and I'm not going to go in depth to all these, but I'm going to bring it into the context. Here, as he talks about unbelief and how it's affecting the church, he, he mentions here the angelic beings, and he said, in unbelief, they came to the conclusion, those angelic beings who fell from heaven, who rebelled against God, in their unbelief, they felt that they had a better plan than God. And if they, and if they rebelled against God, they could usurp God, they could become like God. Satan did, right? And he took so many with him. And in unbelief, it caused them to make a decision which moved them away from, from God and being angels who were holy to God. And so, again, I won't go into depth there. We could. There's a lot we could say there. He uses another illustration, verse 7. He's highlighting unbelief and how it comes into our life, how it comes into the church, okay? Verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged 
in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Here he highlights Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, again, it's unbelief. It's unbelief that says God has set a standard for us. He's laid a natural boundary among mankind. When he created us, he created Adam and Eve. He created a man and a woman. And here those, here those unnatural expressions were those same gender attractions that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah that are such, such a part of our culture today. Our culture, our culture has hook, line, and sinker just, just accepted Whatever gender you are today, that's what you are. It's, it's, in, it's in the news every day, all the time. And uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, in unbelief, acted against the will of God and, and made what was natural unnatural and expressed sexuality in a way that was an abomination to God. And, um, and it's unbelief that takes us to that place. And it's unbelief in our lives that does the same thing in our culture today. And um, it's really important. We'll come back to this in a second, not just to a piece that's important related to that. Let's go to verse, verse 8. Yet in like manner, here you have, I'm just going to point out, verse 4, you have these, you have these certain people. Verse 8, you have these people. Verse 10, these people. Verse 11, woe to them, for they, verse 12, he's talking about the same group of people all the way through here, just so we catch that context. Verse, verse 8, in the same manner of what I've just mentioned, you know, unbelief was, was expressed here, um, from believers who wandered and didn't follow the Lord, from angels who made a decision to rebel, from people who turned against the standards of God. In the same manner, verse 8, these people also, they rely on their dreams, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, they blaspheme the glorious ones. And that could be, glorious ones could be angelic beings, it could be, it could be uh, godly leaders. Um, but, there, but there is a... There is an element of, of unbelief that, that ultimately blasphemes, speaks against, hates the standards of God. That's what he's highlighting here. And when those things creep into a church, a church is in trouble, right? And, um, and so he's highlighting how that this is, how that this is becoming a, a part of the church. Verse 9, he says this, When the archangel Michael contended with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. Okay, there's a, again, we could go, we could talk about this, but what I want to highlight is this. In this angelic spiritual warfare battle that's going on, back in the Old Testament over the body of Moses, there was a battle going on between, between this here Michael and the devil over the body of Moses, and Michael, who was a champion of God, did not feel it right to, to judge the devil. There's no one more evil than the devil, right? But what did he say? It's not my place to judge you, it's what? It's the Lord's place to judge you. That's all I'm going to point out in, in, this, in this context. It's important because it fits in with what Jude is trying to say. Michael understood that ultimately judgment of unbelief or whatever it is, it ultimately is with God and not us. We have to be careful as we contend for the faith, as we stand for the faith, that we don't judge people. We have to hate the sin. We have to speak to the sin. We have to speak the truth of God's word to sin. That will come across as being judgmental. I want you to know that. But in our hearts and in the way we operate, we cannot afford to have an awesome testimony for Christ and have a judgmental spirit in our heart. We cannot. 
We have to leave those things with the Lord and let him deal with that. Okay? The converse is true. Look at verse 10. And he says, the Lord rebuke you. But these people, again, they blaspheme all that they do not understand. There's that word blaspheme. And so what happens is in unbelief, unbelief is going to bring you, it's going to bring me to the place where I don't understand the standards of God in my life. I don't accept them anymore. Does sin ever taint us and, and, and fog our ability to appreciate God's standards in our life? Does it ever do that? It does all the time. You know, we think, well, this is just like unbelief. It's like, you're a sinner. You're way over here and you're doing this. No. Sin gets into our life and it taints our ability to understand, to know, to appreciate God's standards, His protections in our life. Unbelief, that's why he says it's so easy for unbelief to get into the church. We think, no, it's not. We're believers, right? All of us struggle with sin, don't we? And when we, and when we listen to the wrong factors and, the, and we start turning our eyes away from the Lord, we, we move towards the territory of unbelief by how we express our walk with the Lord. And he's saying here, what they don't understand, they just blaspheme. That's our culture, isn't it? He says, he continues in verse 10, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Their instincts and, and what they are by nature are driven for, those are the very things that will bring destruction because nature is not enough. Instinct is not enough. It's God's standard. It's God's transformation that ultimately is what is life change. Verse 11, he says, woe to them. For they walk in the way of Cain, they've abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir, and they've perished in Korah's rebellion. Again, context. Three different things. We can stop and we can look at all these. We're not going to do that. He's highlighting something important here. He's reminding us here that basically in all three of these instances, individuals became dissatisfied with God's standard. They became dissatisfied with, with what God was doing. And so in unbelief, they pulled away and they said, you know what, i got a better plan. Do we ever do that? That's when unbelief starts to become active. Cain, he sacrificed, he sacrificed on the altar an, an offering that wasn't pleasing to the Lord. And we have reason to believe he knew what he was to bring, but he didn't do it. And he changed the standard and made his own standard. That's what, that's what religion is all about, by the way. Religion is that. It is creating a standard that is not God's standard. Okay? And that's what Cain did. You know, Balaam, Balaam fell for money. He fell for greed. And... Uh, he pronounced a curse for King Balak against Israel, God's people, because of greed and money. He says, you know what, I can do, I can accomplish God's plan another way. God's people don't have to be a part of that. Okay? And Korah was a rebellion against Moses. In unbelief, these individuals says, you know what, Moses and Aaron, who are they? They're nothing special. I can be the leader just like they can. And they rebelled against God's leaders. And they renounced God's leaders in unbelief crept its ugly head into God's people. Verse 12, these, all these, are hidden reefs in love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, they are shepherds who feed themselves. They are waterless clouds. They are swept along by winds. They are fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. They're wild waves, waves of the sea. They're casting up the foam of their own shame, and they're wandering the wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Well, there's a clear end here. As God looks at their heart, he doesn't see believers here. He sees unbelief. He sees people in the church who, by how they are living, reveal that their heart is not the Lord's. It's really important. And uh, so this is just revealing the need, not only in our culture, 
but in our churches. Verse 14, And it was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of the ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so, again, an unbelief. Clear back in the time of Enoch, back in Genesis, he prophesied in the wisdom and discernment and the, and the leading of the Spirit of, of these ways here in the end times, of, of these generations that would, that would express unbelief in these ways. And he even refers there in that, in that prophecy to the second coming of the Lord. Ultimately, God's going to deal, okay? Look at verse 17. And he says, as he continues, Jude, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And so, even they prophesied. You know what? Are we living in the last days? Every generation says that, right? Are we living in the last days? I think we are living in the last days. How can we not say that? Um, we see these expressions... We see this in our families, we see it in the churches, we see it in our culture, we see unbelief all around us, don't we? And it's so it's a need for a church to stand, a need for us to stand on God's truth and to, and to have confidence in who God is, to have confidence in what He's done in our lives, and to realize we can make a difference against unbelief. That's huge, okay? Enoch... The apostles both spoke of these days and the days that would come. Verse 16, back up. Again, just expressions of this unbelief. They're grumblers. They're malcontents. They follow their own sinful desires. They're loud mouth boasters. And they show favoritism to gain advantage. Expressions of unbelief. Verse, 18, uh, verse 19, it is these who cause divisions Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. When, you, when we encounter these qualities in people's lives, ultimately what we're encountering is unbelief. I didn't say necessarily unsafe people. I meant unbelief. Because can Christians express unbelief? We've already answered that. Yes, we can express unbelief. We can act in ways that, that is not faith. And we can... When we act in obedience, we're expressing our belief that God's word, what he says, we can trust, right? And when we follow after the Lord and pray to the Lord and take his word into our life, into our heart, we're acting in belief. As believers, like the wandering generation, if we pull away from God's standards and we start accepting the myths, the ways of thinking in our culture, and we pull that into our life, and if it soaks into, into the church, then we encounter unbelief. We start falling away and pulling away from God. It's a challenge. That's the need. It's in all of us, every one of us. We, we struggle to be faithful all the time, to bring our hearts back to, to align our hearts to, in faith, to believe God and to take him at his word. Because when I do, it changes how I talk to people how I think about people, how I interact with people, how I view people. It does all that, doesn't it? Okay. Finally, two sections here. We contend for the faith. How do we do that? We grow and we act. We grow and we act. Look at verse 20. 
But you, here's the response, but you, the church, you, the authentic church, you, genuine believers, but you, who are in Christ, verses 1 and 2 and 3, you who are loved, you who are greatly loved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That's building that's taking place here. And he says to us, you know, we talk about these Every book of the Bible reinforces and reemphasizes these same things. We got to catch it, right? If it's being re- if it's being reemphasized in every book, I have to I have to listen, don't I? God's repeating Himself. He's not stuttering, <laughs> right? He's repeating Himself because it's important, and He's emphasizing the same things. It's coming to the Lord. It's loving Him. Here, it's it's growing our faith. By praying, talking through the Spirit to God, having that relationship of prayer, taking the Word of God and bringing it into our life through prayer. That's what we're doing this summer. By waiting for the Lord's return. You know, to wait, to truly wait, creates anticipation. That's the whole idea behind that. To wait on the Lord's return is to anticipate, is to look forward to. It's like, I can't wait for God to come. You know, i got to confess it's not every moment of every day I'm sitting here thinking, I can't wait for God to come. How about you? I can't wait for God to come. Is that, is that terrible to say that? I'm not alone. All of us are right there. We don't always live like that, but I tell you what, I do try to live like that. The Lord could come, right? Do we believe he could come today? I mean, do we believe it? I have to ask myself, Brad, do you believe he could, like, come today? We sure make our plans like there's a whole lot of tomorrows, don't we? Don't we? We just have it all laid out, what we're going to do this summer, this fall, this next year. we got it all laid out. He says we're to wait for his return, not to, like, do nothing. That's not the point. But we're to have an anticipation that changes how I live. Christ is the focus. Okay, that's, that's the key. And then he says this. That's, that's, the, that's the growing that's the growing in our life, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, prayer. Here it says here, uh, we're to keep ourselves, by doing all those things, we keep ourselves in the very love of God. By being faithful to His Word, by being faithful in prayer, by looking ahead, we're actually keeping ourselves right at the center of, of God's will. We're keeping ourselves right where God wants us to be, and we are able to know, to experience His love in our life. That's how we do that. So what do we do? How do we respond? We says here in verse 22, and we're to have mercy. We're waiting for mercy. Now we're to have mercy. We're to have mercy on those who doubt. We're to save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others we are to show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by sin. And Jude is reminding us here that if, if you are a person of faith, a person of belief in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, if that is you this morning, then your life is going to be marked by giving mercy to others. Even Michael didn't judge Satan. Could he have done that? You bet he could have. Huh? He says, you know what? That's God's place. Until, until ultimate, final judgment comes, and it will, and when our life ends, then our destiny is set. It is irrevocable. We cannot go back and change that. But in, in, as long as a person is living, they deserve the message of the truth of the mercy of God. It doesn't matter what expression of unbelief is in a person's life. And in this, in this book, there's a lot of them, right? There's a lot in here. 
He says that as believers, we are to be people who express the love and mercy of God. He says here in verse, in verse 22, we're to have mercy on those who are doubting. You know, there are, there are those right here in his church that struggle with having that assurance to walk by faith every day, who doubt something in the Word of God or doubt something, doubt whether they can stand on this biblical principle or this truth because the culture says this. You know what? We're to bring encouragement and mercy and strength and the Word of God to those people and to reach out and love. That's exactly what we're to do. Not to say, what? You, really? You do? Because that's what we do sometimes, right? I can't, be- I can't believe we do those things, don't we? And we give this shoulder and we do all that kind of stuff. We're to come alongside. We're to help. He says here in verse 22, we're to give mercy. We're to save others by snatching them out of the fire. He says, you know what? There are those that are so close to that eternal destiny. There are some of those so close to just to God releasing to their destiny, the, going down the path where God somehow, and the Scripture says, he, he turns. They're that close to eternal separation. We've got, to, we've got to do all we can to show the mercy and the love of God and to give truth. And he says here as well in verse 22, he says, you know what? There is a time where we show the love and the mercy of God, and that is mixed with fear. What in the world is the fear here? He says here that fear is this. We hate the garment that's even stained by flesh. There is times we've got to have great discernment as we reach out in love to others. Because you know what? Sometimes as we reach out, there's a real danger to us that it could, it could corrupt our own testimony with the Lord. But we still have to try to show the love of God. We still have to not hate the person. We've got to reach out and love and try to make a connection. But he's saying here, there are times in our life we have to show real discernment in reaching out to people. Because sometimes if we don't have that discernment and that strength of faith, we're going to be pulled right away from the Lord. That's exactly what he's saying here. Sometimes you are not the right person to reach somebody. Sometimes you are. you got to know that, right? Here in verse 22, there's a lot of things. But at the core of that is this. A person of faith and belief in Christ is a person who is always ready to show the love of Christ. It doesn't matter to what expression of sin. It doesn't matter to what, what, what a person is doing. We have to be ready to love them and to show mercy until they die. And there are people, you read the news... You read the news, folks. I do, too. And certain names come up, and we could throw a name out there, and you'd go, right, right? You know, you have opinions on politicians and names and sports figures and celebrities, and you'd say, no way, are they worth, And right? I tell you what, everyone who lives and breathes is worthy of the mercy of God until God decides it's over, and they are, and they are then eternally either with or without him. Until, as long as they are living, they need the opportunity to hear the, the, the truth of Jesus Christ and to see the love of Christ expressed to them. That's not always easy, but that's exactly what our heartbeat has to be. Okay, lastly, contending for the faith. We have to contend for the faith because, folks, the need is, the need is great. It's very great. If you don't think it expresses ourselves in this church or any church, we need to, re, we need to reorient our thinking. It's in our culture, in our face all the time. But here's how we do it. We grow. We grow in the Lord, and we act. We act on that. We bring love into our encounters, into our relationships. We bring the mercy of God until there is no mercy, and that is the time that the Lord decides in his interaction with that individual, not ours. Okay? Lastly, this. If we're going to contend, we need humility. We need dependence. 
One of the most famous two verses in the Bible right here. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude makes a clear point of reminding us that if God is using you, it's because he's the one doing the work. He's the one who's able to keep you from stumbling. You know, in this book right here, Jude, there's a lot of stumbling going on. You know what causes it? Unbelief. When Christians stumble, ultimately it's because of unbelief. We may say, well, no, it's because this happened to me, or no, it's because that person, or no, it's because of my circumstances. You don't know what's going on. You've never been in my shoes. I haven't. I wouldn't even try to pretend that I have. But faith always brings us somehow back to God with His sufficiency and His love and His grace and His timetable and His plan and reminds us that God is able and God takes any and all circumstances and able to use a man, a woman, a child, a teen for His purposes no matter what's happened in our lives. God's the one that keeps us from stumbling, from falling. God, verse 24, is the one who will present us blameless before Him. None of us, none of us have any hope of standing before God blameless. You know what? If you take God out of the picture, we might as well just walk out of the church right now and I'd be the first one to lead you. Because not one of us could stand before the Lord blameless. Not a one of us. It just isn't possible. But it says here, it says here, that God is going to present us blameless. Jesus is going to present us blameless before the Father. Why? Because of that. Because of the cross. Because of what he did for us at the cross. That's why. And because of lives that ultimately have been changed and transformed. And so in humility, I come before people. In humility, we contend for the faith. We realize it's not about us. It's not, it's not us just bringing truth without love. It's not us just about having the right position. No, it's us in humility showing the love of God, the mercy of God to people who need it, to meet their very needs. We're dependent on Him. It is God's glory. It is His majesty. It is His dominion. It is His authority. It is all about Him. And so we worship Him. We worship Him. We depend upon Him. We say, God, You're the only one who can do it. And so that's my prayer for us this morning. That's what I pray. God, give us humility in in our mission as a church. Give us humility in our mission as individuals for the Lord. God, You do in my heart and transform my heart with Your love and Your mercy. Because I know if we're contending for the faith and doing it well and with a genuine heart, we're going to encounter ugly sin. We're going to encounter a culture who will hate us and hate you. Right? You've probably, you've probably uh, maybe seen that this week, right? They're not going to like you. I'm just going to tell you. They're not going to like you. They're going to, in fact, hate you. There's a lot of hate out there, isn't there? In fact, we're called hate mongers. We're called bigots. We're called, we're called all kind of things. The church is. In fact, you are a hater. How do you like that? We have an auditorium here filled with haters. I'm serious. That's how you are viewed. If you contend for the faith, that's how you're going to be viewed. How does that, how does that strike your cranial brain? Huh? How does that strike your heart? You're going to have relationships that are going to maybe dissolve because of your stand in Christ. You're going to have things happen. How does that strike you? That's, it, none of us like that. Come on. Really? I don't like that. 
And so we tend to want to pull back. And Jude says, you well, we have to contend for the faith. But we've got to do it in God's strength, God's power for his glory, his way, with mercy, with love. We've got to gently, authoritatively connect with the culture and with unbelief. And we've got to do it in the power of God. That's our only hope. That's all we can do. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to have a cost, to count the cost? Is it worth it to have to sacrifice in Christ? Is it worth it? God, in his truth, will lead us to that place where we can answer, yes, it is worth it. It'll be worth it all. When we see Christ, we have to keep our eyes on him. We contend for the faith because ultimately what Jesus Christ has done for us, not because we're perfect, not because our standards are better, not because we've made the right decisions and other people haven't and we're somehow better. No. We contend for the faith because we are standing for Jesus Christ. He's changed our life. He's changed my life. He's flooded my life with love and mercy and with truth, and I have an, we have an obligation to, to live that and to share that. So here's the call this morning as we stand together and sing this closing song. The song is this, So Church Arise. It's a call to us to do this, to stand up and to be a visible witness in the light for Jesus Christ. That's what the call is. And so I'm calling you to, to accept that seriously and to say, you know what, that is something that is, that is my value. I know that God wants me to do that. And I'm making that commitment this morning to be faithful in that. Um, the call also is a caution to us. The song is, if there's, if there's somehow unbelief in how I'm expressing my walk with Christ, then the call is this. You bring that before the Lord and say, this in my life, I know it's not an act of faith. It's not a step of faith. I'm not following, and I know that. And if that goes unchecked, it's going to creep into our life and maybe, maybe reveal ultimately, because it does this, may reveal ultimately that you don't walk, you're, you're not the Lord's, even though there was a profession of faith back in the day, right? And so my prayer is that we would just have confidence in the Lord and encouragement in the Lord and be able to show his love and truth. Let's stand together and sing this as a hymn of response to our hearts and to our souls. O church, arise.